there's a golden dialogue. It's a product market fit dialogue. The people that think of content, of product features, etc. This is what we can build. Look at this fantastic bottle of soda stream. Yeah, you can use it, ship it. It's bouncy. It has about eight hundred fruit. Fantastic. And then it goes to the other side of the spectrum. This is the product side to the market side. So people will naturally think about um, what a customer needs are. What I would need as, yeah, I'm going to use this. Look at the scratches. It's not nice. It's I would like to have a glass one, for example. Uh, almost a bouncing of a tennis match going of the, the ball going back and forth from product features to what does the market need. And you need people in your organization that have to put on the hats but if you can have that dialogue within your organization, you will be better equipped to create a product like this that fits the market need. Welcome to the Product Quest podcast. Thank you for joining us on our quest to better understand innovation and product strategy. My name is Jan Wermut, and joining me as always, my co-hosts Scott Burson and Jonathan Edwards. In our podcast, we often talk about innovation frameworks, models, theories, and so on. While all of that is really important, innovation success also depends a lot, and I mean a lot, on people and how they collaborate or how they don't. With our guest today, Sebastian Hammers of Human Insight, we want to talk about exactly that. We want to talk about people and how they're best put together to achieve high innovation performance teams. Sebastian has worked in and studied uh, innovative in entrepreneurship and business development in depth, uh, be it either at the University of, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, 20? Yeah. Okay. And <laughs> helped to spin out patents and technologies that were developed there. He also worked at uh, Growth Accelerator programs before joining Human Insight, where he now is the managing partner. So, Sebastian, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me. So, I I want to jump right in. I think uh, the the start is 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 your LinkedIn tagline. So, I really liked it when I checked it out uh, before the podcast again. It, there you have this tagline where you say "Always change a winning team," and of course that's. Yep. Of the exact reverse of the wisdom that's out there for for years, where it says never change your running or, or a winning team. So, so could you elaborate on it? Why should you always change a winning team? Oh yes, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a long story. I'll make it short. Um, so, always change a winning team is a mantra we have in Human Insights, and uh, it's actually a book written uh, on this topic by uh, Peter Robertson. He was one of the founding fathers of Human Insight back in the day. And I'm talking around 1980s. I was just born in 1983. So it's a long, long while okay. ago. Okay. So we've been doing this research quite a while. So you were now one of the founders. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm now one of the company owners. Yes. Um, so the always change the winning team, where it comes down to is um, basically it's very simple. Is Imagine a sales team. A sales team that's focusing on um, recruiting new customers in the future. They're doing that well. But once you sell to a customer and they become a client, then those talent sets that you need to sell towards those new customers might not be the best around account management. So a customer wants different elements, wants to move forward, wants to uh, do et cetera, et cetera. So they're asking different elements. They're asking different uh, aspects of the whole business. So that's, group of salespeople that were the hunters, so to speak, in finding those customers now have to be the 
the gatherers, the, the the new talent set to to build relationships, to have time and energy and putting into that. So that's why we see always change winning team. That that team that was very well suited to create sales and that first moment in time might not be the best one in developing that relationship with those existing customers. And that yeah. is true for anything like in innovation in, in uh, R&D, product development, operations, etc. You can actually see the differences in kind of development within teams and also what is asked from the teams in their result areas, we call that. Yeah. yeah. Does it make sense? Yeah, 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 no, a lot. Would you say that there is, so So maybe, like, would you say, is there, so, do teams kind of find themselves because they have similar skills? Or oh. would you say there is, there that needs management? Or how does that, that usually work? So um, within organizations, our experience in the, with running Human Insight now for the last was it, nine years, almost a decade, is our customers can are all over the place. They're startups, they're scale-ups, they're corporate entities um, yeah. from Japan to North America. Uh, and what we see is organizations are a collective of teams. So teams of, of people, uh, groups of people yeah. working together. That's basically an organization. And it's increasingly uh, getting that, uh, that simple because people are working within teams. Now online, we're a team right now. I'm in the Netherlands. You guys are in Switzerland, Austria, wherever. Yeah. So... Funny enough is that within organizations, we see that there is a recruitment uh, process of we want to hire certain skill sets. So within the banking system, for example, it's a highly structured environment and we try to recruit people who are more suited in that place. So entrepreneurial skill sets are different uh, allocated in a bank. In a bank, you want to have risk averseness. You want to have very specialistic behaviors, optimization, uh, specialists, etc. So you're recruiting a certain DNA within an organization, and that's um, uh, a choice that people make. However, if you have a team that works together in a project team, for example, in that same bank, you can have the same like types people. Now, that's something that inadvertently happens, is my experience. So um, when running a startup, for example, in the other, uh, other spectrum, it's usually... You have an idea. I have an idea. I say, hey, Jan, we're going to change the world. I have this idea. Yes, yeah, yeah, fantastic. I'm going to join you. Woo-hoo! You might be very uh, explorative like I am. So yeah. we have, again, two like type of people. So within the setting which is needed, you're finding people that you feel are right for that moment in time. But okay. you and I, Jan, running that business, and it's successful after three to five years, and it's it's got hundreds of people and employees, might feel that hmm, we're not that entrepreneurial anymore. We're 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 a manager at, the, at this moment in time. So you yeah. see that that stretch that people are kind of moving towards based on the organizational ecosystem. I call that so the the yeah uh, how the organization is fit, how it's structured, etc., and what, what type of sector it is, and it all impacts the way that the teams are structured as well. So what do we look for? But interestingly enough, is that a whole lot of people actually don't know what their skill sets are or don't know what their the diversity is within a team or like we call that, what the cognitive how do you, diversity is. How do you mean? In what sense do they don't know their well, skill? I mean, in a technical yeah. sense, they know probably some of the, they're like these banking skills or can I analyze data? But you, exactly. I think you're alluding to another skill set there. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and I think uh, one of our Australian customers, which was a... Um, uh, the Treasury Department within the Ministry of yeah. Australia, 
I think that's an interesting story to tell because um, they came to us and said, well, we've got, uh, we're an auditing department within the ministry and we audit other ministries as well. Fantastic. But we feel that we have a lot of like type people that we're recruiting. I said, well, why is that? Well, we want to be more innovative. Oh, fantastic. Innovation okay. in the audit sector. Perfect. Sounds great. Yeah, yeah sounds riveting. Yes, I know. Yeah. <laughs> It's a different sector altogether. So they want to be innovative in the audit sector. So creating big uh, um, uh, BI, business intelligence for other departments, yeah. AI for uh, looking at different data sets. Perfect. That's cool. Um, but the people that they recruited, that we researched, they all came, the, the top performers, they all came from the same university. And we looked at the diversity skill set and also we did some tests. They all had kind of the same profile. Uh, and what we found is those profiles in the DNA and then how people um, uh, work within that team, they they did well because they were perfectly aligned towards the skill sets that were needed to perform in their jobs. Yeah. So why am I saying this is they did this inversely. And when I showcased and we did the research and when we presented this, they said, ah, now we know where we're struggling to innovate. Because we're recruiting other type of people. Okay, so if you're recruiting, so what are you going to do about it? That's the main question. So a lot of gut feel comes with it. And also, if you're looking with onboarding and HR departments within the organization that tie into innovation as well, R&D, they are a business partner, but they just look at what are the needs of the business. And that's let's recruit for that. Yeah. Make yeah. sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. Go ahead. So maybe this is uh, jumping forward a bit, but so I'm quite curious now in this context, what would be the type of profile that's innovative for for this particular example you gave? Yeah, so uh, what we what we research are three kind of different constructs. So the these are what we call um, behavior elements that we all have as human beings, uh, be it a toddler, be it a, uh, an older grandpa somewhere in the world. It doesn't matter. We all have them. And it doesn't matter if you're Chinese, Japanese, Australian, Australian. It doesn't matter. And there's three constructs. Very simple. One is the ability to explore. So exploration. So literally the um, having a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, wife, and sitting on the uh, on the couch somewhere and saying, oh, I got another idea. Oh, my God. Here he goes again. Jesus Christ. Why again? <laughs> a new idea. That's the inability of always exploring new ideas, etc. The opposite side of that is optimization. So optimizing, and these are the people that are not the idea generators, but say, that's a good idea, but I see some holes in the idea. And these are the ones. So it's literally bouncing forth with those, these friendships. And you probably, you know them within your friend group as well, or your family. Oh, he's the guy who always, he's like the anchor around my leg. He always goes and finds the holes to poke. And then there's two other ones. So the other one is, do I get energy of working with other people? It's called attachment theory. So do I get energy of working with this group, with you, with Jan, with Jonathan, mm. with Scott, and really having conversations and philosophy? Or am I more content focused? So do I get more energy of working with mathematical models, Excel fetish, so to speak, very simply to say. Mm. Um, so that's, again, another element. And the last one is how do I deal with managing complex surroundings so complexity theory complexity systems thinking etc and we see that there is a attitude that you can have 
literally around, am I more specialistic and detail focused or am I more of a generalist overseeing the kind of field of things and seeing what they, what's happening within the wider organization? Now for innovation, Jonathan, coming back to your question, and this is a long answer, is what we see is you need exploration. You need a bit of content focus as well, just mm. to think of product features. However, and that's the different element towards, towards this, is you need strategic diversity. What we mean with strategic diversity is um, Steve Jobs didn't think about Apple. Well, he had the idea about Apple, but he didn't create Apple just by himself. He had Johnny Ive and all the other programmers to do things. But there was one guy who could see the uh, overarching ecosystem. But you have to have specialists, the coders, the builders, the IT guys, the designers to create something like that. And what we call that is called strategic diversity. So once you have somebody with the idea, you at least need three people. You need somebody who has a content focus, exploration. Yeah. Specialist, generalist, doesn't really matter. Somebody with the idea. But then it goes towards, yeah, but that product or feature or service, it has to go somewhere to a customer, a market, a marketplace where it fits. So you have to go towards the people side of things. Does this customer really value this product or service that we're trying to offer? So it's literally the product market system. And then if so, if that product market says, yes, this is fantastic, they will come back with feedback. So could you make this with these and these different elements? So it goes back to the optimization side content things. Mm. Yes, we can think about it. We can optimize it. We can create some different features towards it, et cetera, et cetera. So you need free people. And that's why we use something we call the organizational life cycle in, in literally an S-curve. So the S-curve is how we look at organizational development from startup to scale up to corporate entities. So just answering your question and finalizing it is you need free people at the first start of the S-curve to start innovation. However, to embrace that innovation and to actually productize it and to monetize it and to safeguard it and to optimize it, you need at least the other side of the escrow as well. So people who are operational, content-focused, but also customer-focused and optimizing that product and service and safeguarding that it's the quality we need in the market. So innovation, the first part is those are the thinkers of new ideas and innovation, but to really embrace innovation that's where you need the other part of the escape would you say so in this in this growth curve as i i understand i think you call yeah. it also growth curve sometimes is is that yeah. would you say that like if you're thinking about corporates not startups but really a corporate do you need kind of is there a, a split of people that you need like 10 20 70 percent or like is there a golden mix basically of how yeah, yeah. you kind of are split as a corporate in, in, in on the growth curve innovators and the more optimizers i, I don't know yeah, good one. And I'll, I'm just looking here because I have a book here as well. And there's how Google does business, how Google works. Is this one? Ta -ta. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's basically Eric Schmidt, who is the uh, was the ex CEO or was the CEO of Google back in the day. And he literally says uh, in podcasts and in this book as well that he had a conversation with one of the founders of Google, and he had a mathematical equation to solve this. And it's based on the Free Horizons model of McKinsey. And what that basically is, is it's little S-curves, three different growth curves. Hmm. So 70% of your capacity, resources, money, et cetera, should go to your existing business. That's your horizon one. That's your existing S-curve. It's usually in the three quarters, halfway, 
of the S-curve, it's making money. Eh? You're yeah. safeguarding it, you're optimizing it because eh, there's a lot of customers that want to pay the bills. Yeah. <laughs> then horizon number two are the adjacent possibilities. So especially when Google, horizon number one is the search. Awesome. Exactly. Search is one of the biggest businesses. Now, adjacent possibilities back in the day was YouTube, um, looking at G Suite, which is their product service of an email, et cetera, and all the other stuff. So what are literally stuff we can easily integrate to our existing business will generate money near in the near future, three to five years. Hmm. 20% of our resources should really go to that one. And 10% should go into horizon number three, and that's the last S-curve. And those are what he says are the wild bets. So the wild bets are kind of the zeppelins that they go and, and throw out in, in Africa, giving everybody Wi-Fi, et cetera, um, figuring out uh, self-steering cars in, in, in the US uh, and Google's um, uh, ability yeah. to use that one. Uh, so it's literally around how do you organize you, yourself as an organization in those 70, 20, 10 buckets? Where are your resources allocated? And um, what's the emphasis of investment that you can make that you feel is, is necessary in your context of your organization? Okay. Okay. Makes sense? Well, yeah. Would yeah. you also say that, that like say, in a, if, if I take an innovation project, like some something, I mean, that's it's never works that way, but let's say from, from idea to launch, then somewhere yeah. in the middle stuff happens. Let's, so that's, well, very simplified, but that's, that's an innovation project there. So, so, would you say, would you advise companies, well, you need kind of different, you need to change. So you, in order for it to be successful, you need to change the team, uh, kind of when the idea develops and, and, and so on and so on. Or would you say if, if we take one kind of innovation idea, it can be one team, but different people do different things or different, or is that not even a, a sensible difference? Yeah, good question. I can only answer that one by telling another story of a company in the Netherlands that was building a... Uh, a microscope, new microscope for uh, pathologists. Um, they're a big company now scrutinized in the Netherlands, but back in the day, they were making a lot of money, but specifically for the life sciences department. So this group, R&D, innovators, explorative focused, etc. They were focusing on creating a new microscope that could look at different Petri dishes uh, and uh, look at the different results, uh, research, so the lab people could work twice as fast, efficiently. Yeah. So they created the microscope in what is it, a year time. So we did help them understand, okay, what are the roles within the product team? Who's doing what? What's the talent set that we have, et cetera, et cetera. And it wouldn't surprise you that based on the assessment that we use, it's called the MQ, that their talent set was really around the, the first part of the S-curve and the growth curve. So explorative people, content focus, as well as on the people side, working to explore new endeavors build the products, put it into the market. Their um, CEO at that time said, hey team, fantastic work. I want you to also do the operations and the sales and also the maintenance of this product. Three years later, product was doing fine. Team wasn't doing so fine anymore. They called us up, said, ah, human insight, could you help us? Why? Well, the team is stretched. They're burning out and we have a feeling why it is, but could you please help us? So what happened is basically you're asking that explorative, innovative team that's creating new products, services, et cetera, for the bigger, wider uh, organization 
to put on a new role, to stretch their talents and actually do the maintenance work, the customer support, which mm. is an entirely different entity in different capacity in itself and competencies that you need for that. So the people literally from their natural contribution, we call it. So how do I naturally contribute to yeah. working in a team, working on this project? How do my natural performance areas uh, uh, focus and how they permeate? It got stretched, but not just for one person, for about 12 people. Now, if you do that for a longer period than six months, you will notice. You will you will not go with a smile to your work. I can tell you. You'll go, oh, my God, I have to do the same work. It's not in my comfort zone. It's not in my energy. What am I doing? And if yeah. that's the whole team, then, yeah, then you have a problem. Then you're stretching yourself towards a different entity that you're trying to fill. Yeah. I like that difference that you make there where you say, well, you can kind of, in a sense, you can make, let's say, the the, the people make something that they're not comfortable with. They It will work in brackets. I mean, they will, they will do it, but they won't yeah. get energy from work. Yeah, and I I really like this idea. But there is a place where kind of what they could do, or if they if you put it them to another use, then they would get energy from the work. And I think that's really really a helpful helpful perspective. Yeah, exactly. And I know, uh, especially in startups and scale ups, that you just have to do the work. You have to do. You're the sheep with the five legs. We call that in the Netherlands. You have to do the work. You have to do the the uh, the maintenance, the the accounting, the finance, talk to customers, etc. But that's a role you can play for a shorter period of time. And knowing that I want to recruit people that is going to do the sales for me. When we have cash flow, I want an accountant. When I'm going to uh, have the maintenance guy, yeah, let's focus and invest in somebody who's going to do the IT support, et cetera. Yeah. So knowing that and managing that well, that's one of the key competencies or also skills, but also the one of the things that scale-ups, organizations and startups, especially when they're growing very rapidly and recruiting yeah. a lot of people, yeah, that's the most difficult part of the running the business, of course, is aligning talents with yeah. the uh, result areas that you need for your business to be able to perform and to make money, to be able yeah. to invest in the rest. That's that's a balancing act and a dance really uh, from day to day. Yeah. I, I, I want to get a little bit more into this kind of the, the backbone of, 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 of what you're basing this on. You you, you alluded to the, the, the AEM cube, so, so yeah. the kind of... I think that's what, or one of the tools or one of the assessment tools that they use in full transparency. So I, I, I did one of those assessments and it's it's fantastic. So I think it honestly, so I'm not getting paid. So, but but it's true. Like I, I think I understood for myself, I, I, I confused a process problem. I thought it was a process problem or a skills problems with a people problem. So yeah. I thought like we as, as a company had a process problem when in fact the, the assessment I did made me realize it's 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 something else we put people in places which maybe makes you also realize what kind of i'm i would say i'm on the, the other side of the growth curve than you are <laughs> i'm more an optimizer process guy not that much an exploration guy but anyway so could you elaborate a little bit on 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 that on that cube you already mentioned the dimensions where does yep. it come from how do you how do you do actually the assessment yeah yeah so i'm going to tell a story about psychometrics and why we're not a psychometric. So psychometrics like Hogan, DISC, etc., they all came about uh, after the Second World War, First Second World War. And they came about because there was this big group traumatized soldiers coming back into the workspace and mm -hmm. figuring out these, these are soldiers, how can we integrate them back in the workplace and find their talents fit well? Because they were steering a tank a couple of days ago and now 
they're leading a team at the office. It's, I understand why they did that. So that's where the companies like Gallup, uh, uh, MBTI come from, et cetera. They're all in that space of 1910, It's ages ago, eh, mind you. It's 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 a long, long time ago. And based on uh, theoretical concepts like Jung, et cetera, like uh, therapists that saw different behavioral styles. So these are circumstances that look at how do you communicate? Uh, how do you engage with people? That's fine, but it doesn't say something about how do you interact with a team? How do you interact with your environment, which is an organization? And how does this organization interact with the strategic um, elements that they have to deal with? So what we said is, okay, let's look at it from a different angle. Let's look at how do people work together? How do they create performance? And how do they deal with complex surroundings? And complex is different than complicated. A complicated problem is when Apollo 13 um, said, oh my God, Houston, we have a problem. And they had to make uh, a certain instrument out of a filter, uh, a suit, and something else. That's a complicated problem. But enough brain power, you'll get there. A complex problem is basically global warming. We don't really know what the solution is. We know a couple solutions, but we don't know what the impact is. So it's literally, it's, it's a web of different elements. But what we found when, when researching this element is there are three pillars, like I talked about. Eh? So different behavioral elements we can see when working together that create performance. Mm -hmm. That's what we really focus on. It's performance. Yeah. So that's what we say. We're not a psychometric test. We look at performance within teams and within an organization, and we align to team diversity. So performance is needed to understand, hey, how do you attach to people or in content, like we said? How do you explore or optimize somewhere around that paradigm? And how do you deal with that complexity? Now, that's all fine and dandy, but okay, but if you, Jan, for example, uh, don't know how I'm thinking, you will struggle in dialogue, et cetera, yeah. also with Jonathan Scott. So what we're trying to say here is it would be good if you're creating a project team that's really focused on innovation to see who am I actually getting on this project? What can I expect from their cognitive thinking styles? What can I expect from them in performance areas? And how do we actually create a dialogue that fits yeah. the task that we're working on right now? Now, that's almost like uh, top performance football, uh, football, soccer, Bayern München, uh, Liverpool, that kind of stuff. Uh, they're 11 <laughs> players. They're 11 players. So this is the story. What's up. So the MBTI psychometrics in, on a field with 11 players, they will say to you and analyze very good is how does the front man talk to the other one? How does he want to communicate? That's perfect. But what okay. we're saying is, yeah, but you want to know if the strategic context of Bayern Munich against Liverpool is, are we going to play this offensively, defensively? So what is the street okay. context asking us? And actually, are we playing with this um, 11 players more offensive or uh, more defensive, etc.? So it's really looking at the, the context and getting the team aligned well together. And there's a layer on top of that is how you communicate, etc. That's all fine. But that's uh, intertwined with each other. Does that answer your question? Because I went down a rabbit hole, I think, somewhere. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 good that it seems to be that that's your exploration kind of part of your yeah, <laughs> exactly. that's all good 
So, so I, I, I also touched upon, so when you, when you present it, so you, you give like a really nice readout of, of the assessment, well, it's a self self-assessment. I think there's also an element where others assess you, if I'm correct, if you do kind of the full, full thing, if, if I understand correctly, yeah. Yeah. Um, there is also mention of, of kind of a little bit of the science behind it. Could you go, go a little bit in, into that? You, you also mentioned, and I think that's quite interesting that it seems to span uh, cultures. So it doesn't matter. It works uh, in Australia, Japan, the US, wherever you want to. Is that true? Like, or... yeah. yeah, that is true. So so what we said, the construct of attachment exploration theory, they've been researched by all the research. You just Google it and you can see attachment theory. If you have yeah. children, you can easily see safe attachment versus unsafe attachment. And that's easy. And that's what we have as uh, professionals as well, working within teams. Um, and that's even the case with complexity theories. How do we deal with complex surroundings? Uh, there's a lot of research done by um, uh, Nobel Prize winners on this topic. So we basically we said, well, these are interesting elements. Can we, can we combine them? And that's what Peter Robinson did in uh, 1980s. He was working for KPMG, mind you whereby basically he, he got a task when um, uh, a couple of partners said, well, we've got organizations and strategy and we, we consult a lot with strategy, but the people aspect on performance of that strategy mm. is massive. Can we create something that is uh, a predictive element of the behavior into actually executing that strategy successfully? And that's where the issue came from, basically from that standpoint. Okay. Okay. There is one uh, one thing I also want to get into. You, you, I think you used the used the word. So, so it it seems to be there's a lot of focus on on interaction between the different players or the different members of of the team and how they interact. Yep. And and in one of the other other, I heard you in another talk where, where you mentioned the concept of of a golden dialogue. Yeah. Okay, this relationship. So so kind of between probably could you? I I found that super helpful. Uh, it helped me quite understand why. I work really well with somebody. So <laughs> uh, could you could you go into a little bit a bit of bit of that and how 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 that's yeah. Sure. So golden dialogues is something we found after uh, a couple of years of research. So I, I'm saying a couple of years. These these are a couple of decades. So over the last <laughs> what, 30 years. Um so I like this the saying opposites attract. Uh that's from a romantic standpoint. But you can also see something. <laughs> you can also see something from that in a business way, uh, not the romantic yeah. stuff, but the opposites that we see. So if I'm very exploration focused and you Ian, are very optimization focused, we're literally looking at this book at a different way. Yeah, yeah. If I'm holding it up, I'm looking at the backward element. You're looking at the forward element. Uh, we can literally read it. We have a very different way of articulating what we've read so what we said in that one and what we research is hey there are actually dialogues that happen day to day in organizations in innovation in operations in finance that impact performance and what i mean with that is there's a golden dialogue it's a product market fit dialogue it's a golden dialogue around product market fits so whereby People that think of content, of product features, etc. This is what we can build. Look at this fantastic bottle of soda stream. Yeah, you can use it, ship it. It's bouncy. It has about eight hundred fruit. Fantastic. And then it goes to the other side of the spectrum. This is the product side to the market side. So people will naturally think about um, what a customer needs are, what I would need as 
yeah, but I'm going to use this. Look at the scratches. It's not nice. It's I would like to have a glass one, for example. So it's a uh, almost a bouncing of a tennis match going of the, the ball going back and forth from product features to what does the market need. And you need people in your organization that have to put on the hats because you can ask customers to think about that. But if you can have that dialogue within your organization, you will be better equipped to create a product like this that fits the market need. Now, that's just one golden dialogue. The other golden dialogue is a speed to market dialogue. Stating, hey, uh, guys, uh, I just talked to a customer, the sales team, for example, um, and you would like to have a plug. But number two, mm. we're free so it can charge faster. Okay. It goes back to the product department. Um, don't know if we can make it. We'll try. Goes back to the sales. We got something. Hey, we got something. So that's the uh, what sales going to say. Yeah, but I already sold it. So you have to make it within six months. <laughs> yeah. It's $1 million. Otherwise, we're going to go broke. So that's literally a, oh, my God, from operations. Um, can we do that? Do we have enough resources, et cetera? And the other people in your organization from the optimization side of things is, yeah, but we quality control people. Um, we have to figure out that this is not going to go bust or it's not going to heat up, et cetera. So it goes literally from back to forth. Yeah, but we need to do this. Before the end of March, for example, with this customer, otherwise it's one million going down the drain. Yeah. So you see those tensions within an organization that happen day to day, and if you see it, that's a, a very old footballer called Cruyff who said it in Dutch, very bad translation. But if you see it, you can't unsee it anymore. Yeah. When you see the golden dialogues and you're aware of it, you can actually say in a meeting, "Hey guys, what are we talking about here? Is this a product market fit dialogue?" Yes. Okay. Jen, I know that you're more explorative and content-focused. What are your standpoints? And then you can actually use it to your strengths. Hey, uh, yes. Jonathan, I know that you're more people-focused. What do you think that the customer will react to? Yeah, well, I think this will fit, but the price point, it's too high, man. Okay, and then it goes back and forth. So you can create, in your dialogue, a better way of moving forward. Now, what we found, and then I'll finish, is we found this isn't, the fastest way of working. If you would like to have speed and go very fast with a team, get like type mind people, like lemmings running off a cliff. <laughs> it's good for speed. It's yeah. good for uh, okay. pleasure. and Which and can work. make sense sometimes. I mean, sometimes it, it is about speed. <laughs> sometimes you just have to plow, head down and plow through. Fantastic. But if it's a complex problem you're trying to solve, take a step back try to create cognitive diversity and people that look at the same problem from different angles and create a dialogue around it. Hence, golden dialogues. Okay. I, I had a, a question regarding these different dimensions. Is it at all possible for one person to enact both um, extremes of each of the three dimensions? So, for instance, uh, uh, you know, could someone be in the... Um, uh, the dimension, uh, for instance, the uh, attachment dimension, could someone be both people-focused and uh, content-focused? Or is that not possible, in your opinion? Yeah, good question. So coming back to psychometrics, what like, psychometrics like to do, like MBTI, is they like to put a stamp on you, like your NJTS, whatever. Um, what we say, no, people are more complex than that. They're on a spectrum. So... What we have seen is that 
your natural contribution somewhere, if you are very explorative and you're content focused, and that's where you see yourself, that's something that comes easy to you. That's that's developed through the course of your life via the values and norms that you get from your home, your upbringing, your family, etc. It very it influences that for a great deal. Now, what we're not saying is you're stuck there for life. Interestingly enough, is your natural contribution on the axis of where do you get energy from people or content mm -hmm. that is kind of set for life versus also exploration optimization the thing that you can develop yourself in is yeah but am i more of a specialistic or a generalistic perspective these are management skills you can develop over the years these are coaching sessions that i can say to you jonathan hey if you want to become a leader you should take some time and, and I'm going to give you some skill sets to overlook uh, the system, to make sure that you're looking at the team and checking in with them. So having a more journalistic contribution. However, what we see is if you see yourself as exploration and content focus, you can stretch yourself to be people focused and more optimization focused. What we're saying there is, However, it's going to cost you a little bit more time and energy. It's going to cost you a little bit more effort. It's going to cost you a little bit more realization that I'm doing this because I need to do this because my team is asking me to do this, for example. And what we see from, from experience is that people that stretch themselves too far and don't come back to their natural contribution, it's like an elastic band uh, stretching out too far too long and it snaps sometimes yeah. is that an answer to your question hopefully yes thank you you're welcome sebastian i want to could you review the um the three dimensions i'm looking at one of well maybe i'll just say and then tell me if i've got them right i've got one of complexity which is yep. generalist versus specialist is that right yeah and then i think the one's called attachment working with yep. other people versus content focus Exactly. And then I missed what the, this one's called, but I know it's, you said idea generation versus uh, generators versus optimizers. Is that right? Yeah. What's that one oh, called? Yeah. We like to call it exploration. Uh, okay. So the ability to explore new endeavors versus making them better and optimizing them. And you need both in that uh, spectrum. So the, inter sorry, yeah. the, in the interesting thing is I the, all of those seem to be sort of opposites, except when you said working with other people, I was thinking the other dimension is working alone. So it surprised <laughs> me a little bit. But no, the other no. ones are clear opposite. So I wonder if you could expand on that. Exactly. So what we don't mean, what we don't measure is, am I introverted or are you extroverted? Do you get energy of networking on events or do I get energy of working alone and saying, screw you people, I don't want to see you anymore. That's different. What I just get energy from is, yeah, I can work with other people, uh, but looking at uh, uh, Einstein's uh, theory, yeah, EMC squared. Let's solve this. I think he's wrong. <laughs> he's, he's not MC squared. It's MC uh, to the uh, fourth, for example. So that's the differences in, in, in the uh, nuances that we deliver as well. So good question. Yeah. Excellent. And on, on that, uh, go sorry, on. go ahead. Oh, we're too polite oh, on, here. On the, no. same, uh, on the same line of, uh, of questions, um, how would you say the um, this this model so with these three dimensions relates to this famous one the what's it called the big five uh, yeah. personality so 
Yeah. I've actually got it here. So it's uh, neuroticism, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, and conscientiousness. Yeah. Is there any relation or is this a totally different thing? No, the, 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 there's the M-cube has no relation. We did try to measure, hey, how, how do our constructs load on the big five? And the big five is one of the, the better uh, psychrometric tools because it's actually scientifically more valid than the other tools. The other tools are just not scientifically valid. So what that means is if I ask you to complete the MBTI uh, questionnaire uh, and you feel a little bit down, you, you can have a different outcome than when you feel a little bit better the next day and had a beer, for example. So it, it, it can change. And what we're saying is, no, your natural contribution fits somewhere, but you can adapt to kind of the complex surroundings because we're complex beings in itself um, to be able to do something. But what we can't measure and what the big five measures are personality traits. And we say, well, we're not able to do that. We just want to know where people naturally contribute when working within teams, trying to solve this problem in that strategic context, which is called an organization that they're working in. Because we want to look at performance. Yeah. Yeah. I will say, looking at your website, on one of your articles, you have the correlations between the attachment exploration and managing uh, complexity versus each of those five that uh, openness uh, to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And I'm just looking at this for the first time, but but I see there are some strong correlations with some and some not yeah. non-correlations with others. So it's, yeah. I haven't had time to absorb it, but it's no, no, no. By itself. So, so what we asked our scientific department is, is how do our constructs overlay with big five? Yeah. And there are some there are some positives there. Yeah. But if you do the M cube and you do the big five, you can't say if you've done the M cube, oh, I know my my big five uh, reports. No, right. that's two complete different elements, but they do overlap in certain areas. That's that's fantastic. That's good. Not much though. It's like managing complexity and conscientiousness. That's your strongest by far, it looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Because you need a certain level of um, consciousness is a certain level of understanding what's happening in my environment, in my surroundings. So if I have somebody over me that I'm the boss and somebody's crying and you have to have the aptitude, so to speak, to understand, oh, there's something wrong here. How am I going to go about my business to help this person? <laughs> yeah. So that helps. Now, in a while ago, you described the ideal team as having at least three. I, I presume that means strong in each of the, I don't know if even strong is the right word. What's the, What are the attributes of the three? So in the context, I think that Jan asked uh, around innovation. So what you need with innovation, what we found time and time again, is you need at least three people that cover the first part of the S-curve, the growth curve. That's okay. exploration. That's uh, somebody who is more uh, testing folks and more operational focused. So that's the first three, because if you don't have an idea, you can't test anything and you can't operationalize it. And that, if that's first three elements, if you don't have it in the organization, referring to the banking system again. The banking system is top S-curve heavy. They, they're all focused on structured uh, optimization and risk averseness, et cetera. So that's um, where a lot of banks say, well, we need to innovate uh, a little bit more. Yeah, but you don't have that capacity within the organization. Now I'm kind of putting everything over one comb. I know that, but it's just helping to understand what the example is. Does that answer your question, Scott? 
Yeah, it, it does. This is probably, yeah, it does. It does. Sorry. So, so I mean, for me, it's, I'm still not quite clear. So just to be clear. So the three people would be, so we have the three dimensions. So each person I imagine has, is a point on those three dimensions. So you would, or, or, okay. So, so well, let's say the three competencies you need then is someone who is explorative. Yeah. Uh, someone who is content focused and explorative. Yeah. Okay. Content focused and explorative. Yeah. And the other person. Uh, and then you need someone who's people focused and explorative. Yeah. And, and they... explorative. And then yeah. you mentioned, I, I think also an optimizer profile. Yeah. Um, so if you're looking at free archetypes and innovation, I would say every hands down, if you have these three people, Let's just call them a hipster, a hustler, and a hacker. So, okay, I like <laughs> that. Archetypes. So, you need somebody who's exploration focused and content focused. That's the, ha the hacker in this case. Somebody who's really thinking about products. Then you need the hustler, somebody who's people focused, but also explorative. Hey, we got this idea. I know somebody in my network. I can pitch this. Mm. I think we can sell this. Perfect. And then, if this person is going to sell it, Okay, the hipster is kind of a, a negative connotation because hipster <laughs> has fun. He's usually wearing. Okay, so um, it's somebody who sits in the middle, but it's more operational focus. So he's not really a dear guy. He's not really the person who's going towards the the, the, mm. the partners, the sales, the customers. But he sits in. Yeah, I can take this and and I can actually make this. So operationalize it. But once that's done, we got the product. We're selling it. Perfect. But then that's where I say you need two to three other people. And that's people focused, optimization focused. So people optimization, and that's support, customer awareness, <laughs> making sure the customer is happy. And then it's moving back to optimization and content. And that's kind of the, the CFO role, so to speak. The person that's really safeguarding, are we making money? We're selling it, but at 10 cents a dollar. That's not something that's viable for long term. How can we make it 30 cents? So you see the, the dialogue here? And that's, again, a golden dialogue. Yeah. And that dialogue that, that follows literally the S-curve. And I'm doing this because it's literally going from idea to operations to optimization to safeguarding. Mm -hmm. And that's you need that. And it's continuously going via the S-curve. So just to to just so we we we're clear, so we have the hacker who is an ex who is explorative and content focused. Yep. We have the hustler who's explorative and people focused. Yep. And then the hipster, I didn't quite uh, get. So he's the optimizer. Is that correct? Yeah. So if you look at the hipster, he's more operational focused. So operations, he's not really people. He's not really content. He's somewhere in the middle. Like if you imagine it as a as a as a cross, uh, well, how do you know? Yeah. Well, Where almost? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, exactly. So we use a square. So literally, the 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 uh, the hacker sits right bottom exploration uh, content, then the. Uh, hustler is top right exploration people 
And then the hustler sits somewhere at the back because he's more optimizing, mm -hmm. but he's back basically operational. He's halfway on the S-curve, but he's not really in people. He's not really in content, but he understands both. So he said, oh, I, I can see what the, what the customer wants. Ah, oh, but I, I, I can see what, what the product does. Um, I think I have some ideas how to fill this. So he's just going to test. He connects, yeah. He's, he's he connected. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And and actually, as we're on this topic, so I guess you have then, so we you've named that, I quite like this. So the hacker, the hustler, and the hipster. So yeah. there's three different uh, personality types so if we have three dimensions with two like extremes i guess you would have something although the hipster doesn't quite fit in that but i guess you would have like eight different profiles of people is that about right uh are there any other like names fun names you have for for, for people <laughs> so i'm going to answer your question again uh uh with a little story there is um more complexity to this product. So we, we, we don't use archetypes. So we like to use archetypes for people to understand them, which, which I like. Mm. Um, but there is more complexity to it, of course. And um, we've done some research and uh, also a white paper on these three elements, specifically in startups and in, in scale-ups. Um, so I worked a lot with incubation programs, with startup programs, where there were two, three, uh, team uh, team members within the startup and what we saw was and we did it in europe in africa north america and we saw the same results is that if you at least have in that first phase of that contextual element of we need a product we have an idea but we need to test and create something like this this thing if you don't have those free you're shit out of luck it's not going to happen mm. so what we found is if you have too many uh hipsters, you have too many hackers, you have too many hustlers, you will not be able to be successful in the first phase. So we said, yeah, you need diversity. And that's basically the, the one that we need, I think, is more important, uh, Jonathan. It's not that we're looking for those archetypes. It's looking for those natural contributions that fits into that project that you're trying to solve within the team in the span of time that you're working on it. So that comes back down to innovation. Hey, that's a nice link, yeah? So yeah. startup in that first six months or 12 month period is, is literally an innovation period. We're trying to figure out if we can have this idea, create something and actually put it to market. It's an innovation. But if you have people that are um, on the opposite side, that are not innovative, are not explorative, but are optimization focused, are content focused, you will get a very good product, but in 36 months. <laughs> yeah but maybe not fitting the market at all. See what that does? So it's literally the contextual element of getting the right people, fitting the right places, sitting in the right things, sitting in the right seats and doing the right thing. That's really the puzzle that we're trying to solve every time and time again. But it's always changing because if you have the products and you're selling it, then we have to have the other two people that we need in team, not the hipsters and the hustlers. We need the safeguarder. We need the protector. We need the optimizer. We need the finance guy, et cetera. And maybe even a lawyer sometimes. Yeah. So basically, the only space for an optimizer type person in the startup is uh, the the hipster type. Yeah. But he's not <laughs> even a total optimizer. So the optimizers <laughs> basically are doomed for startups. Is that that's no, it, no. which is a <laughs> that's interesting. One. 
So we did a uh, we helped a startup looking for venture capital in the US. Um, and I'm just going to debunk your question here. Uh, you're basically your statement that you made. So what they said was, we want to have a, a, a investment, financial investment. We're four four people strong, and we created kind of the the analysis. And what we found was they had a lot of a little bit too much um, uh, hackers and too much uh, hustlers, so to speak. Yeah? So explorative content and explorative people. Now that's all fine if you present in it. So we want to have investment. We know what our strengths are. We know what our weaknesses are. We want to fulfill those gaps with people that we want to uh, recruit. Perfect. But we said to them, use this to your advantage. And what we meant is use this to find a venture capitalist that's going to sit on the optimization side of the business, being the devil's advocate, punching holes into your exploration, explorative behavior. Because if you have too much exploration power, you will um, research and the world every time, time and time again, you will find new solutions to make the world better every day but you will not create a product. You know what I mean? So you will have, be in an infinite loop, so to speak, with, oh, we can, mm. do, we can make this jello. Yeah, but when we make it green, just make the goddamn product and let's focus on the next step. <laughs> so what we said to them is, try to find a venture capitalist that can fulfill that role. Ask them to complete the assessment as well and see what that does with the impact and the dialogue that you're creating from the founding startup team versus the private equity venture capitalist that hopefully can kind of counterbalance your explorative behavior and punch some holes through your uh, reasoning and sometimes make your thought process better. So there is room for those uh, hipsters, let's call them differently. There's room for those devil's advocates, those anchors that can feel that are the sturdiness, the foundation to make things better. Yeah. Have, have I... Yeah, am I making sense to you, Jonathan? Have I? Yeah. So my question is now: so what's the best profile then? No, it's, uh, it's a joke. It's a joke. <laughs> it's a joke. Depending on the context. <laughs> yes. I think what I what I also I also like about this. I mean, you mentioned it before. I think we shouldn't. We 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 quickly tend to kind of naturalize this and say, "Well, you're that kind of person. You're this kind of person," and and you're yeah. fixing that role. But but I think I want to emphasize this a little bit that, that you also. I mean, you emphasized it before yourself, Sebastian, where you said, "Well, you can for a certain amount of time you can stretch yourself." And I think if you have that square, I mean, that's how I it helped me. Like if you have that square in mind. You, you know, if you know, look at your team, you know, kind of who has to stretch into what direction in order to make yep. this work. You can do it for some time, but it's, yep. it's going to take a toll, but yep. it's, so it's, it's, it, it's really a navigating thing as well. I think like for, you can, it's not always the case that you can hire somebody or you find somebody who fits the profile and stuff, like, but you can compensate because you know, where is it, it helped me understand where I, or where we as a team have, where there's a lack. Right. Yep. And you and, and where you need to stretch into. So it's, I think it's a really helpful. It's to have a dialogue within the team. Where do we where do we have an issue? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's, you're setting off a thought experiment in my head. Just imagine that we're a project team working together, like Scott, Jan, and Jonathan, and myself working internationally to create a, um, a plastic free ocean. It's something we all want to do. Perfect. Um, so your role is, Jan, you're the CIO, Jonathan's the COO, Scott is the CHRO, and I'm the CSO. So it would be good to actually say, what are the roles? What do we expect from each other in that role? What is it that we're specifically doing? And for some reason, if Jonathan says, 
well, screw it. I'm going to go on holiday for six months. Then we, as the rest of the group, Scott, Jan, and myself, can say, okay, we have to make a conscious effort to fulfill the shoes that Jonathan has that we now have to fulfill. And what we see in in practice with customers, with, with companies that we guide is the... Uh, the attrition rate of people going and coming in organizations that uh, are working there and not working there are promoted are going out of a team is pretty high. But what people unbeknownst to them actually do is they fulfill certain roles without even asking a question or they have to jump into an element and, oh, uh, we see that you're doing that well. Um, well, that's that's a part of your job now. What? Uh, I was fulfilling a gap because it was needed. If, am I getting a pay raise? No, no, no. Just you can do that. What does this work? So yeah. what we see in, in, in uh, facilitating those sessions, having a clear set of, okay, but who's doing what? What are the roles? What are our expectations? What are the talent sets? Is that aligned? And what happens if indeed one of the person or maybe two people, they step away? And what happens in, on the, the pressure of the other people? Can we fulfill that? Do we need to externally in the rest of the organization or do we need to recruit? So that's basically the, what we call the dance. It's the dance every day. Every day is changing. Somebody wants to go on holiday. Somebody's going off. They're sick, etc. So you need to be able to cope with that. But it's pretty handy to know um, what the talent sets are within the organization. Yeah, I have to say, I find it very interesting. This uh, well, this idea usually when someone, uh, like let's say, takes over um, uh, the job of someone else, we we typically think about the tasks that this person has been or his responsibilities that he's been uh, that that uh, that he has. Uh, but actually, I think this gives a, a nice additional dimension of saying, okay, you're not only taking over tasks, but you're also taking over. A certain dimension or space in your uh, in 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 your in, in this kind of profile, uh, this personality profile, and yeah. being aware of this, I, I I think yeah, it's definitely can be very very useful. Yeah, yeah, and adding to that one, Jonathan, I like your uh, uh, sense of reasoning. Is what's the impact that I bring to the team? If you were uh, accustomed to, I don't know, uh, Teddy Ruxpin or uh, Putin, even. Yeah, if Putin goes away and I'm coming in, I have a different leadership style. I have a different way of working together. So that all impacts the way of dialogue, uh, team performance, etc. Um, that's uh, if you don't spend enough time or a little bit of investment of just getting to know each other and speaking this out within the team, you can very simply go over it and make assumptions. And what we see where when assumptions start to arise. It makes an ass out of you and me. That's one. Um, but it also has an impact of kind of habits that we create within the team. So the habits can be good. But they can also be bad habits. Yeah. And, and Putin, I guess, is an explorer at the moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sounded like it's a so no comment. Uh, it, it <laughs> this is not a polit- political podcast. <laughs> we'll not get into that. I have a question. I I forget the the model name, but there was this model where when teams start to work together, is it storming, norming, performing, storming, storming, you know, they're sort of finding each other out. They don't know each other. Uh, Norming, they sort of learn to work and ultimately they work together. I I have just personally noticed that with some teams that, that I worked on, 
that played out like perfectly. Like they could write the book. This is what happened. But with other, but with other teams, more infrequent, I would say, it's like it never gets to performing. It's like the fight, the the differences of perspective, it never gets resolved. The trust is like just never built. Uh, and like there's certain people, I don't know if it's a personality type or whatever. I'll just how would I say this? They um they hold on to resentments and and things that just it keeps the team. They 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 just they say stuck in sort of this unhealthy relationship. What yeah. what are your thoughts about that? And, and especially regarding with your model. I mean, I'm, to be completely honest, that's sort of a surprise to me. That's that's most teams I find sort of sorted out, but I have experienced a few that just say stuck in 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 um not very productive relationships. Exactly. Counterproductive, stuck in limbo, not understanding each other, using different words, etc. So what we found when uh, using the MQ, you could have a very cognitive, diverse team, but still there was underperformance. So we said, why? How's, how's this the case? What's, what's the missing factor here? So we did some research and we also published in the Harvard Business Review and looking, and basically there's one magic ingredient um, so in order to unlock the cognitive diversity within a team, you need psychological safety. And that's some people use trust, but trust comes based on um, experiences, creating performance together. That's where trust comes from. It's interactions that actually I can build on your consistent behavior. I trust you to do this based on my repetition and based on my communication that I had with you. You've performed over a longer period of time. That's where trust comes from. Psychological safety, however, comes from the interactions that we have day to day. So what we found was that to unlock that cognitive diversity within teams, you need trust. So we did, and we ran uh, um, within London Business School and Ashes Business School and some other business schools in, in the US as well and Netherlands. We ran the same experiments. <laughs> this, is, this is very funny. If you, I'm just seeing the people run around in the room again. So we did a commuter exercise. So basically it's very simple. You have a group of 12 people lined up in a V-shaped, um, like a, a flock of swans flying over to go to South Africa. So on the left side, these are people going from, oh, let's say Liverpool to Bayern Munich, eh, the football team. And on the right side of this V, they're going from Bayern Munich to Liverpool. Um, so why am I saying, saying this story? Because the element of psychological safety is there and it can be gone in a second. So we had a team do this in, in England, and it was a C-suite team uh, on an away day. We facilitated a couple of days, and we used the M-Cube to help them understand what is going to diversity, how can you unlock it, et cetera. But they said, yeah, but how does this work in practice? Okay, well, let's do this game, this V-shaped game called the community exercise. So we had the CEO and his management team standing on the left and the rest of the team on the right. And what they do have to do is, in the front of the V, there's one position that's open and the rest are people standing next to each other. But there's two rules is the group on the right, they can move to the left so they can make one step forward to that empty space. And another group can leapfrog over that person to the empty space that has occurred, so to speak. So you can do that in some mathematical equation setting. But this team, and it's kind of uh, interesting to see because we've seen it before in other teams, they were experimenting. So what they literally do, that you go through an S-curve, you go from exploration, yeah, let's explore, let's see how this works, let's move forward, okay, oh. But if you make a mistake, you have to start all over again. So we're literally standing there with a stopwatch. 
So they made a couple of stakes exploration. And then the people that are standing away from the exercise uh, are in the middle of the V, they they kind of analyze it. It's more operational. And they say, ah, oh, do some remarks, maybe this, maybe that, and then you'll fill again. So it's test, retest, et cetera. But the people at the end of the V-shape, they're not engaged at all because they're literally standing away from the action. But there was one young lady who got it. She saw it. She kind of read it down in the post-it and said, ah, oh, I got it. So she took the role in the rain and said, ah, wait, let's start over. You move, you move, you move, you move. And halfway through, she got it. But she made one mistake because some person acted too fast. And what did the CEO do in the room? Go, Jesus. And the whole room kind of said, this was looking around him, what happened? And he, he literally put it out there with some some oomph, some curve. We have to do it all over again. And what happened with the young lady, you think? She didn't she didn't speak again, very most scary. likely. Very exactly. scary. Her cognitive diversity was lost for the rest of the day. So we managed to say to CEO later at dinner, what you did there wasn't very cool. <laughs> And we just said, <laughs> what happened? Uh, and he said, yes, you're right. So he actually uh, apologized the next morning, stating what happened, and also we use it in a game. So this can happen in your day-to-day experience. Just that one sentence of working in a group, brainstorming, and saying, oh, geez, you with your stupid ideas again, yeah, will not get my viewpoints anymore. So I think, Scott, looking at from that point is, Yes, you can have cognitive diversity. You can have a team working together. But if trust doesn't come from consistency in relationship building and psychological safety is not there, you have to work on it. You have to, that's why we exist, human insight. That's why other consultancy experiences and and trainers and coaches exist. It's a very big market. And it's because people are complex and it's literally teams that work together are is very complex. Yeah. So, so I have two questions uh, regarding the conflict. So it's kind of two questions connected together. So the question is, uh, is uh, do you find more conflict in teams that are diverse or do you find more conflict in teams that are the same? And the second thing is, um, is conflict a, a good thing? Because I, I've heard before also that, for instance, um, you know, if you think about music bands, famous bands, you know, yeah. who, who they're, they're always in conflict. They're always like fighting and all this. And 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 I've also heard, I forget now where someone saying, well, you know, the day where we don't argue and we're not in conflict anymore, then we're not cr- being creative anymore. So yeah. so what is your perspective on that? Well, there is a, uh, a sense of um, uh, knowledge in that statement, indeed. So. I think it ties back to one of the remarks I made earlier is if you want to go fast, go with a like type minor team, but you can jump off a cliff. Uh, and it's fine if it's needed, yeah, head down and move fast and forward. But if you don't know where you're going, yeah, it might be a big mistake. Mm-hmm. So coming back to psychological safety, psychological safety is not, oh, you have to be friendly. Oh, uh, Jonathan, uh, uh, I'm very sorry, but uh, could you move your car, for example, because uh, I would like to have an electric car and you're in the spot with a gas turbine. It's not, that's not psychological safety. Psychological safety is the, um, the ability to speak out your mind without fear of sanction. That's one element. The other element is um, having a constructive debate about your viewpoints. So literally making a 
investment of, I don't see it that way, Jonathan, but I'm curious to see what your standpoint is. So I'm inviting you to explain to me what your standpoint is. And debating on that topic of saying, hmm, I did not look at it from that point or point of view. You have a, some points are right. I think my points are right, but could the two together be right? And then having a conversation around that one. So it's constructive uh, debate whereby it can be heated. You can have literally people butting heads as long as it's respectful and in a place where it's done right. That's not a problem. As long as it doesn't um, go towards an element of just shouting at each other because that's that's the other side of the spectrum. Does it answer your question? Yes, it does. And may I ask another question, or did you guys want to want to jump in? Go on, go on. I have a, just a very practical question because this is something that's happened to me sometimes, which is, um, say you're working in a team and some of the members um, produce work that others feel is not maybe not very good or something yeah. like this. Um, which is crap it's it's, it's just <laughs> crap so <laughs> so and and let's say because um, i mean i'll say okay very concretely like i had a project where you had to deliver something and we were on a short timeline yeah. and what was produced was maybe not up to the the standards that we we had um what's the b best way of dealing Great with this situation in order to preserve this psychological safety because what i did is to just take over the thing and just redo it myself for instance which it was really bad um yeah. and and but i wonder how one deals with this kind of situation yeah um well there, there's a couple of instruments you can use eh? from coaching to nudging to all the above different elements and practical uh, uh, use cases you can use when when working with others that are subpar underperforming and you don't know why eh? or, or so maybe just different you know i mean it's 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 different. just yeah. it could also be you know it's a perspective one thinks that maybe it's not as he would have liked it it's not a, a judgment necessarily in absolute that the work is bad or something but no no exactly and that's i think that has to deal with one of the topics that you just describing is what is the starting point when you start this project? So what is literally the boundaries that we're trying to achieve here together as a team? Are we clear on the rules and regulations and what we're trying to do here? What's your role in, in developing a piece of this product? So specifically for um, the person in question that you were on the project with is, were was it very clear what he or she was doing, what the deliveries were? Because what we have in our head, and that's, again, assumptions, I assume that it's being delivered based on my criteria set. But his or her criteria set could be completely different. So what he or she delivered to you could be for in their world, it's fine. It's good enough. That will get me through the day. And, but you're saying, well, this is so subpar, I'm not going to present this to the CEO. So it's one of those leveling of... Uh, having a discussion of what's literally what you're trying to do, what's the quality that we're trying to achieve, and being clear on the boundaries before you even start. <clears throat> then during that process, it's also, it could be fine to check in and check out whenever that person is going to deliver that piece of work. Hey, can you send me some stuff to look at already? What do you have already? If it's shit then, then you can actually send it back to, mm, this is not really what I want. <laughs> could you do this and this and that? So it's, halfway through and we see a lot 
where there's uh, teams um, working together, but you can have a professional team or a team of professionals working next to each other, like a siloed island yeah. environment. And that's where you get a lot of dis miscommunication. So having specialists working a great deal on their piece of information, but not connecting with the others to say, is this actually what you want? That's what we see happen time and time again. There's also an example here, I think, Jonathan, is just making that connection sometimes in, in a team saying, what is exactly that we're doing? What What are you on your project doing? What's the stuff? Can you send it to me? Can we discuss it? Can we have some time to go through it? Just to match our expectations because I'm doing this, but I think we need to do the, enhance this element as well. And that's where, again, dialogue can help extremely when uh, uh, when moving things forward in, in team performance. But there's so much more, John. This is just a piece of the... This is not the holy grail. This is just... Of course. <laughs> Does that help, though? I will uh, try and dialogue more, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it's, it's... slap around. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I, th I think it, it helps. It helped me a lot, also understand. I think it, it's funny because I think we should do an assessment. Us three, we did another kind of type, and we discovered some quite interesting things. And the way you reacted, Jonathan, reminded me a lot of how I sometimes react badly and do the same thing. So it's 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 well. Anyway, whatever has to do with people, I think is kind of a never never ending story, right? So, so. <laughs> well, coming back to the tool, thank you, uh, sure. Jan. You're, you, you, there's another uh, element that I think also helps um, um, Jonathan this one is when you know Jan's position in the M-Cube or his uh, natural contribution is he more people-focused, more content-focused, more exploration-focused, more optimization-focused, etc. You also know a little bit more about how to communicate or create a dialogue with him or her. So that's what we said to the, you remember the startup? is if you know what your natural contribution and the strengths are of your team, and you know what kind of venture capitalist or private equity partner you're looking for, try to also explain and, and send to them, hey, what is what you're bringing into me? This is our standpoint, my natural contribution. Um, I think you're more optimizing. I think you're more content focused. So I'm trying to also understand your uh, point of view. Am I so? Are we meeting halfway and understanding each other, or are we still in each, each other's kind of allergy points? And that's uh, that's a lot of time and energy you have to put in that one as well. Yeah, yeah. So maybe I think Scott, you you mentioned already kind of there. I mean, there is the humaninsight.com, uh, I think. Yeah, right. The humaninsight.com website. Where yeah. can but where would you send people? So that I think I assume is a, is a good place to go start to learn to learn more about this stuff. Or, yeah. or where else could they go? Uh, how, can you find you on LinkedIn or what's yeah? There? You can Google Harvard Business Review and look at the uh, um, a team performance. Just Google team performance. David Lewis, that's one of our research associates. Harvard Business Review. Then you have the research looking literally at team performance and why teams perform better than others uh, when using cognitive diversity. And also look at the other research that we've done uh, around that one is looking at psychological safety. So unlocking psychological safety in order to unleash that cognitive diversity. So that's about yeah. four articles, Google them. You can all find them on HBR and they're for free. You can download uh, and human-insight.com human is a very good one yep. for international speakers. And we're a Dutch company as well. So human-insight.nl will also help. And you always can contact me via LinkedIn or whatever and send the link. Perfect. Well, well, thank you so much for taking the time. I think this is as as I think we've as we've proven it's 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 a never-ending story because 
so much dynamics involved. Uh, I, I also assume you're clear up your approach is an evolving thing. So uh, hopefully that will change as well. Science usually does. So <laughs> I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Well, uh, okay. Anything else you want to, you want to like send out now to the teams like, or, 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 or say at the end? No, I think what we started is always change the winning team. What's your team one. right now? What's the context it is in? Where are you down the road in six to 12 months? And always think about, hey, it's changing. What can we do to support our yeah. teams? Better? Yeah. Perfect. Well, Sebastian, thanks a lot. Thanks for taking the time. And I think that concludes today's Product Quest podcast. So please send any comments or ideas for future shows to productquestpodcast at gmail.com. And see you next time. All right. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Fantastic. Yeah. Very interesting. Bye.